Welcome to Inside the Album. I'm Don Seckler. That's Tommy Hilkin over there, over here. I don't know where he is. Somewhere. I'm here. How's I'm it going, over man? Here now. Oh, it's going good. How are you doing? <laughs> good, good, good. I'm glad we're back together. We are. And oh, today yeah. we're today we got a, a a really great album from 1970, Cosmos Woo! Factory by Creedence mm-hmm. Clearwater Revival. Wow. So now we're talking. Now we're talking. Yeah. So this is a great album and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with it. Um, We wanted to talk about our charity that we're working with called Music for Mark. So tell us all about that, Tom. No, musicformark.com. What we're looking to do as we move forward is to put musical instruments in the hands of kids who really can't, you know, have a way of getting them. You know, guitars, we even have a trombone. Uh, by the end of the year, start of next year, we're going to start really sending it out to schools, meeting people. And what we want to do is just keep the music alive, give it to kids who really don't have an instrument that they want to play. Right. So if you've got an old instrument that you're not using, it's sitting in your basement or your attic or in a corner, dust gathering dust on a wall somewhere, Steve Gooberman, just let <laughs> us know. <laughs> is Gooberman collecting dust? Is that what you say? No, he has a guitar on his wall in his office that he never yeah. plays. <laughs> He's a rock star. He's Gooberman. a rock star. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, hit us up with that and, you know, help us spread the music. That's what, yeah, we, what we're all about. Alive, man, for sure. So let's talk about Creedence Clearwater Revival. Uh, the album came out in July. This album, uh, Cosmos Factory, came out in July of 1970. Good. At that time, the big albums were Bridge Over Troubled Water, Simon and Garfunkel. Wow. You had After the Gold Rush, Neil Young. So a couple mm-hmm. of kind of, you know, mellowish albums there. Um, Deja Vu also was a CSN that year, Let It Be, yep. which we've talked about previously by the Beatles. And then also Led Zeppelin three, which again is kind of the, the mellow Led Zeppelin record, right? Wow. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So kind of a, you know, the, the whole year is, is a little, you know, it's a little floaty, a little, little mellow. Um, and this is actually a real rocking album. So it's uh, kind of contrary to what was going on at the time. No, when you think about like 1970, you know, it's funny. I'm thinking about it. So I was 10 and uh, interesting at that time, a lot went on in, in 68, 69. You know, the world was really in a crazy place. We had Nam going on, you know, right. and the riots and uh, it was just crazy time. So maybe maybe the music mellowed for a reason without without even knowing it. it was like that's what people thought they had to bring to the world. And I was like, people didn't need to be charged up. They already were needed to bring them down a notch. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was just coming off of all the psychedelic stuff in the late yeah. 60s where you had a lot of long jams and stuff like that. And it was, you know, there was a lot of guitar solos and and things like that. And the Clapton is God thing was happening around this time, too. Um, So, you know, Credence is kind of the opposite of all of that, really. They're just kind of like a a straight ahead, you know, rock band. They call I guess they call it swamp rock, but it's a little blues. It's a little country. It's a little they've got a little R&B in there. It's it's a good good mix of uh, styles for this band. Yeah, real good. And like I said, one of my favorite albums of all time. You know, I played this, wore this one out. Two Credence albums, this one and Willie and the Poor Boys. Nice. Just, yeah. And this album here that we're going to listen to today, it, I always re- remind people that 
you know, when you got the album, you got the album. You were psyched back in the day to go out and get that album. A, yeah, you for didn't sure. have a, as a kid, you didn't have a lot of money, but I think everybody had this album in their collection back in the day. And I would go as far as to say anybody who listened to rock music had this album. Yeah, for sure. And it wasn't like today where you can just go on your phone and go to Spotify and pick a song and play it. You know, you didn't have that. You had to either wait for it to come on the radio or you had to own the the eight track, the cassette, the album. Uh, you know, you had to have it so you could hear it when you wanted to hear it. It was not, uh, it was a lot different back then. So in the band is John Fogarty's leader, really kind of, it's really John's band. I mean, he wrote all the songs and for the most part, uh, he's lead guitar, lead vocals, played piano, all sorts of keyboards. He played horns, harmonica, he produced, he arranged it really is John Fogarty's band. Um, but in the band is his older brother, Tom Fogarty, who was another guitar player. And then you also have Stu Cook on bass guitar and also did some backing vocals. And then uh, Doug Clifford was the drummer for the band. This was their fifth band, uh, fifth album, the band's fifth album. And uh, it, it's their fifth album in two years. So they were cranking out albums like crazy. That's insane. Like you yeah. never see that these days. Oh, got to make, you know, the whole thing was to put out an album, go out and tour, you know, and, and everything you could to make money. That's the only way you could do it. Yeah. The only and way. And they, uh, this one was an international hit, and it topped album charts in six countries. Years later, in 1990, it actually received the certification of four times platinum, so four million copies sold. So it continued to sell even, wow. you know, after the band had broken up and and John Fogarty was out solo, and the the rest of the band kept touring under uh, Creedence, Creedence Clearwater Revisited. I think it was Re right. Revisited, yeah, yeah. yeah. Without Which, John Fogarty. Right, without the guy who wrote all the music and was you the lead know. singer and, you know, did everything pretty much. You know, one of the things that broke the band down was the fact that he made himself manager. Yeah. And uh, didn't didn't go over well. <laughs> yeah, and Tom was his older brother, so he felt really slighted by that, and the rest of the band wasn't happy about it, and that's kind of what broke them up. Strange enough, I don't know if they've even talked to this day. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know, they, you know, I know John Fogarty is still around. I don't know if his brother's still alive even. Um, right. be interesting to find out. Um, so the they had a in in January of 1970, the, the, a lot of this album was released as double-sided singles before the record came out. So the songs were out in January through July, and then they released the album. Uh, so they had uh the first double-sided single was traveling band with who'll stop the rain and that was number two on the billboard hot 100 and then in april they released a double-sided um a single with up around the band and run through the jungle and that got up to number four on the hot 100 so you know this was the pop music of the day you know it oh, was yeah. yeah it was it was on the the uh pop charts oh yeah i wonder what number one was i have to check that out yeah, I don't know. What held it out of first place? Because those two tunes are tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's probably something from Simon and Garfunkel. I was or just going mean, you know, you right? just Bridge Over Troubled Water was forget about it. You're right. Right. That was so big. So right. big. So big. Yeah. You know, Fogarty had been uh he'd been with these guys for a long time. They played as the Blue Velvets and the Gollywogs in the 60s. 
but he composed almost all the songs, pretty much drove the band artistically. And like you were saying, when he became, you know, he was the manager of the band as well. So it kind of irritated the other guys, mm. uh, especially Tom, who ended up leaving the band in at the end of 1970. And yeah. so that was kind of the end of it. Take a look at the album cover here. And this is not one of my favorite album covers, I got to tell you. Uh, it's it's weird. It's uh, So it looks like they're kind of in the studio because the drummer's sitting at the drums. But one of the guys is on a bike. There's a mirror on the floor. I'm just very confused by it. You know, it doesn't really strike me as, as having any any real significant meaning. If I'm right, I think another one of John Fogarty's brothers designed the album cover. It's just oh, something, okay. something reminds me from years ago. You know, yeah. I mean, it was it was it's just a little weird and it's not very <laughs> memorable if if you ask me, but that's my you know personal taste. That's it. Yeah. And people bought, you got to remember, album art was amazing back in the day. Oh, yeah. You yeah, look you look forward to it. You look forward to opening up that record, seeing, uh, you know, a lot of them had the gate folds where you'd have like cool art on the inside and on the in the sleeve, and you might even get a poster or something inside uh, of the record sometimes. God, I, miss, I really do. All kidding aside, I miss those days of buying albums. Well, you can still buy them. They make yeah. them still. Yeah. That a boy. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I just got a turntable. Oh, you did? Yeah, oh yeah. They're not cheap, though. You have to go, you know, if you want to get cheapies, you got to go to the used record stores. Yeah, yeah. I wish I would have saved my stuff. I just bought Deja Vu. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. That's a good start. Yeah. All right. So uh, one fact about this album, and we kind of talked about it a little bit already, is that it's got a wide range of musical, mm. like, tastes that are included. And, you know, they called it, or some people call it swamp rock sound, their sound, that kind of grungy, you know, not real heavy, but, you know, you can feel it like you feel hot and sweaty when you're listening to it, right? When it's like jamming along. My my whole thing, and as a kid, always thought they were like from Louisiana and yeah. from California. Right. And they're <laughs> California boys. So, yeah. Um, but that was their sound. So it's like, it's R&B, soul, country, rockabilly. You got all that kind of, you know, Southern music is in there. Oh, yeah. And then it's also classic rock and roll and even a little bit of psychedelia with uh, with the first song on the album. So, Yeah, that's great. So did you, did you check out, it was pretty interesting, you know, uh, John Fogarty ran the band. And are you going to talk about Cosmos Factory, what it actually means? No, go ahead. Oh, great. It's a... Uh, and I, I wanted to know about the album itself. And uh, John Fogarty, because he was in charge, would send the drummer away, whose name nickname was Cosmo. Huh. And they would send him to this open factory, <laughs> then make him practice for hours. And when they would go in there, they say, "Well, here we are, at Cosmo's factory." Oh, Which just all by himself? He'd all be by sitting himself, in there like, drumming, like John Fogarty telling him, "Go practice." Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. No wonder they aren't together today. <laughs> Stick them in an empty in an empty factory. I guess the acoustics would work, but yeah, right. It would be good. <laughs> so they they considered a Cosmos factory, which is kind of cool. Well, there you go. All right, so let's dive right in. Cosmos factory. We're going to start off with the first track, which is really almost my favorite track on the whole album. Uh, going to start off with a little uh, ramble tamble. Mm.
so funky, right? Very. So this song is basically built just on that one riff, right? So, <laughs> it, which is great. I mean, I love the beginning part is so like almost R&B funky. Yeah. It's a little, you know, and then it moves into this real rock and riff. The, so the song is over seven minutes long and, you know, I, I, we can't play the whole thing here, but you got to right. listen to the, the back end of this song is just a jam. So there's like a solid almost four minutes of just them jamming at the end. And, you know, the, you know, people say it's a little psychedelia, but it, to me, it's 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 very kind of blue, just straight ahead blues rock. Right. Well, that's the whole thing with this. The, it's simple rock and roll. You could hear you think about it, the drum is just keeping a simple beat, bass playing simply and Fogarty's taking over the rest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah simple rock and roll. But you like the middle of this song, like you said, to the end. Heavy yeah. Duty, heavy duty. Jam. It's just a big jam, you know. <laughs> And as they say, it, it really needs to be played loud. It's yeah. not something where you would just sit down and put on these, this song. No, you know, it's, 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 it's a driving crack. song for sure. Oh, yeah. You know, this oh, is yeah. one you, 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 you put this on your car radio and you're going to be doing 90 in no, no time yeah. before Great you stuff. know it. Uh, so the song is about the evil of big government and the restrictions political forces can put on society. Mm. Uh, it was the only song on Cosmos Factory that was not released as a single, which is interesting. Yeah, well, it's long. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And we've talked about that again, you know, a million times that back in 1970, it was three-minute songs and that's it. You know, there's your nothing goal, longer yeah, than your that. Goal was, your goal was to get on the radio. Right, exactly. You need it to be heard. But, you know, when we think about Credence, and it's obvious, man, when you, I've always thought about it, and why Fogarty was able to continue on the rest of his life was, you know, A, once you hear the guitar, you know it's John Fogarty. Once you hear the vocals, you know it's John Fogarty, right? Oh, yeah, definitely it, it, a unique sound, yeah. Everything, everything about him, everything, his guitar work, his right. vocals, it's John Fogarty. Right. So and he was people, you know, especially guitarists, like they love buying different guitars, different amps, blah, 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 all this stuff. But 90% of the sound comes from you and how you play, you know, right. it has nothing to do play. with the equipment, you know. Right. Uh, Eddie Van Halen sounds like Eddie Van Halen on a $150 guitar or a $3,000 <laughs> guitar. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, yeah. it's Eddie. 
you know, you hear you hear that first chord and you know who it is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's 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 great. You know, I, I love everything about that when you you can just listen and play the guitar and understand who it is playing. BB was one of those people. You know, once you heard BB, oh came, yeah, really yeah. locked in as BB. Yeah, yeah, of course, BB. Uh, All right, so let's dive into track number two, and this is one of several covers on the on the album. This is uh, "Before You Accuse Me." Mm. Here's some blues. Ah. So can you tell me who is the original who wrote this song and, and recorded it originally? Do you know that? No, but I do know it's covered widely. It is covered widely. Yeah. It's written and recorded in 1957 by Bo Diddley. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, once you hear it, once you know that, yeah, you can hear yeah, the Bo Diddley riff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Listen. <laughs> Who else on the planet has the their own beat, the Bo Diddley beat? Right, right. right. It's yes. it's just wow, like right. we were talking about signature sounds. You know, Bo Diddley is one of those guys who just you instantly know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know, when we're just listening now, I just want to say uh, why I love this album. You know, I I am a simple rock and roll guy. I, I just like the and you could this is the perfect song. It's perfect. There's this you could listen to it forever. Yeah. Just the, the the band just playing behind him doing simple leads and just it flowing along. It, it's simply beautiful. <laughs> right. And he never, you know, John Fogarty never overdoes it. Like it's right. always the right like amount of solo, the right amount of lead, the right amount of fill. It's never too much with him. It's it's amazing. And, you know, a lot of melody, you know, it, it's nice. Uh, this song I could play for the rest. Well, I have played it for all my life <laughs> now it's uh 53 years How about that wow there you go. wow yeah so they recorded this for the first time in the sessions for the first album from credence uh back in january of 1968 and it was the same day they also recorded Susie q mm. um and john fogarty just left it out of the album he wasn't happy with the sound so they ended up going ahead and re-recording it and he was happy with it and now it's on this album yeah all right so let's take a listen to the next track uh track number three is traveling band
So definite rocker here for uh, these guys. Just a great, great tune. Another one where you, you get this on the radio in the car. You're going to be going real fast, uh, very quickly. Dude, just great memories for me. You know, it, driving my parents crazy, traveling band, full full volume, <laughs> rocking the stereo. Exactly. Oh, what a tune. So, what a tune. Yeah. <laughs> So Fogarty wrote this song about the hectic lifestyle of the band uh, and the road warrior ways. So they were, like you said, they were just on the road constantly for for several years. In 69, they they just toured constantly, played many of the major festivals, including Woodstock. So there was a rush of excitement in going from place to place. But as the drummer, Doug Clifford, explained, their baggage was constantly getting lost and like happened over (laughs) and over again. They're like, oh, well. So they spent a lot. Yeah. So they spent a lot of time waiting around in the heat at these festivals. And then traveling for them got a lot easier when they got their own private plane. Baggage going nowhere. Yeah. (laughs) It's a great line. It's yeah. But and this was back in the day when there weren't, it was like they didn't have like air conditioned trailers and stuff at these shows in this late 60s, right? People didn't even have air conditioning on their house for the most part back then. I didn't. Yeah, no, I didn't. I never grew up with air conditioning. And, and so now everywhere has air conditioning, but it was yeah. a lot different back then. And so they're out, you know, out in the field in the rain or what, you know, or, uh, you know, in the summer, in the heat, sweating it out, waiting to go on and all this stuff. So it can be a little crazy, especially yeah, if, if you don't have your clothes. If, if, it's, if it's not your passion, it becomes drudgery, you know, and it's uh, if it's painful, you ain't going to want to do it much. You know, it really I just. uh I saw Fogarty a couple of years ago at Bethel Woods, uh, the, the site of Woodstock. Yeah. It was, it was 52 years later. <laughs> wow. Wow. You know, amazing. Still out there playing the tunes. Yeah. Yeah. That, so he, played, cool. that he played at Woodstock. Yeah. So uh, it, it, this song is written in the style of Little Richard, who Fogarty uh, was a huge fan of. Mm. Um, but... Specialty Records, who owned Little Richard's catalog, saw things differently and sued the band, reaching a settlement to earn some of the royalties from the song. So they felt it was close enough to a Little Richard song that they sued over it. I wonder how that went. They they won. The record company won. Wow. Yeah. You know so what, they cl- go ahead. You know what it was? It was even even the Beatles had a trouble with it because anytime you would go, woo, right? Little Richard swore he owned that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So anything that had that little thing, that's a Little Richard song. So the lawsuit claimed that Little Richard's Good Golly Miss Molly was being copied, but Creedence uh, bass player Stu Cook said that he thought it sounded more like Long Tall Sally. (laughs) There you go. You know, these songs are in their head. Everybody goes through that. Yeah, and they said it wasn't really, uh, you know, they weren't ripping off one particular song, but right. it was a like kind of a '50s rock and roll type song. So yeah, I got you. You know, I mean, and, and you know, Little Richard is a big part of the '50s rock and roll. So he's an influence for for a lot of bands, especially in the in the '60s. Uh, Long Tall Sally's a great song, man. Yeah, great song. So after the basic track was cut on this, John Fogarty went back to the studio and added many of the instrumental parts, including hordes and piano. So again, he's kind of, you know, the man who's doing pretty much everything here. Wow. All right. So let's move on to track number four, 
And this is a fun one. This is Ubi Dooby. So this one is another uh, another one of the covers on the album, and it was written by Wade Moore and Dick Palmer, mm. and it was originally recorded by Roy, Roy Orbison. Ah, oh, you knew that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Good one. 1956. Yeah. Completely two different versions. Yeah, yeah. But Much you can still so. hear it. It's, it's a very 50s kind of oh. little rock and roll ditty, right? You know what just went through my head, Don, while we're listening to this. You know, I, I I just rocked this album forever, and as we're going over it, you can fully understand why. It's oh yeah, just, every it's, song, it's rock and roll. It's every song roll. on this record is great. Yeah, um, and John Fogerty wow. owned the Sun Records release of the Roy Orbison version on a 78 and it was one of the first songs he learned to play on guitar so oh there you go it held a special special part in Fogarty's past so he was uh I'm sure super happy to cover it ooby dooby ooby dooby doo all right let's move on uh we'll move on to number five this is uh looking out my back door mm-hmm. great sound This one's, uh, I guess, you know, this is really kind of the rockabilly song that we mentioned before. Uh, almost that kind of skiffle sound of, uh, you know, what the kind of the Beatles used to play before they were the Beatles. Right. Uh, you know, it's that kind of hillbilly country, but still a little rock and roll. Really good. And a great slide work in there, too. Great slide. You know, simple beat, just progressing forward, right? Just, just everything about it again. It, my my love for music comes from the simpler the better oh Truly. yeah i i enjoy it all yeah and this this song was written for john fogarty's son josh who was three years old at the time and uh he says uh fogarty said he knew he would love it if he heard 
if his son heard him on the radio singing, looking out my back door, do, 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 looking out my back door. And uh, the lyrics, there's a, a reference to a parade passing by. And John Fogarty said that was inspired by a Dr. Seuss book that he used to read as a kid. <laughs> so Dr. Seuss is, is, is uh, responsible for a Creedence song. Hey, well done, Dr. Seuss. There's a man who wrote on acid. <laughs> and speaking of acid. Hey, where are you going with this? Well, like the Beatles, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, many people thought this song was about drugs when it was really an innocent song inspired by a child. According to the drug theory, the flying spoon was a cocaine spoon and the crazy animal images were an acid trip. So, you know, this is, it's less plausible than the Beatles interpretation because Credence was never really into uh, psychedelic drugs. So it wasn't something they were doing at the time. Yeah, listen, back back then, everything, you know, everything with rock and roll music was associated with drugs. You know, yeah. Just society in general was like, they would find that, Oh, did you hear what he said? You know, right, there's a right. reference, there's a reference to rolling, you know, right. <laughs> like, you know, all of a right. sudden it was, it's rolling weed. I know. It right. is. <laughs> Ban- and banning music. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. All right. Next up. Uh, number six is run through the jungle. Great tune. another another song that uh people thought was uh vietnam inspired right. or about sure. vietnam war um it referred to a jungle it was released in 1970 at the peak of vietnam right. and the fact that previous ccr songs such as who'll stop the rain and fortunate son were protests of the vietnam war added to the theory right but john fogarty says that's not the case he said uh he 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 said that he thinks a lot of people thought that because of the times I was talking about America, uh, no, because of the times he th- thought it was about the war, but he was talking about America and the pro- proliferation of guns. So, you wow. know, he, he said uh, he's a hunter and he has guns and, and, you know, he's not anti-gun, but he thought that people were so gun happy and there were so many guns uncontrolled that it was very dangerous. 
And, you know, he says now it's even worse, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, but think? it's, yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting that it was like, you know, this is something that was said in 1970 as opposed to now when, you know, the gun issue is is huge. It ain't going away, my friend. The opening with the jungle effects was created by uh, a, a lot of backwards recorded guitar and piano. So, you know, they did some work there. And I, I think this was kind of a thing, late 60s, early 70s, where there was a lot of like trying to just do weird stuff, you know? Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Here it works yep. really well, I think. Yeah, the Beatles thought it messed it around with the beginning of Taxman as a riff and on the end of the song, it's backwards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so it's, just, uh, it's crazy you know, what I, you know what I like about this song? I have to tell you, this song could have easily been an instrumental because the music behind it is so good. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I would like to hear just it played out without the vocals. Huh. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, there's some great playing going on there. And it's it's got that kind of, uh, you know, it could have easily been an instrumental. It really could have. Hmm. I'll, have yeah. to talk to John, I'll talk to John about that. Yeah, see if he could do that for you. Yeah, he'll take my call. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next one. Uh, number seven, this is Up Around the Bend. So this one uh, was written by Fogarty, so not a cover. <laughs> and um, it, it's upbeat. And and I think the thing was that, you know, back in like the early 70s, like you were saying before, there's, you know, there's riots, there's protests, the war is going on. Yeah. People are angry. The, the, the people on the right are saying, you know, look at the hippies and all the drugs and all this stuff. So it's a lot of... A lot of turmoil going on. And this song, they were saying that, hey, there there is some hope for the future, you know, hoping things would improve. Yeah. And, and let me tell you something, man. I uh, The times I've seen Fogarty, that op that riff, that opening riff, it, it, it makes me emotional. You know, it's just like it's, it gives you chills, you, right? Oh, dude, in, <laughs> in concert, you just like it just takes you back to being a kid. Yeah. Every time you hear that riff. What a great riff. Yeah, and uh, the bass player, Stu Cook, said this song is uh, kind of the opposite of Run Through the Jungle. So, you know, on the same album, you got kind of two sides of the of a coin here. Very good. The uh, interesting thing about this is that the song required a bit of translation for British audiences. In England, if you go around the bend, it means you go crazy. So ah. when the band toured in the UK, they had to explain to the British press that the song was not about like dementia or mental problems. 
<laughs> Amazing how to explain. Just play the song. <laughs> Even if it is about going crazy. So what? <laughs> but then guys like us are going to analyze it and get it wrong. So <laughs> This is true. It had, it had everything to do with acid. Yeah. So, uh, interesting. John John Fogarty said he uh, came up with this song when he was riding his motorcycle through the California hills. So, uh, you know, interesting little tidbit. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's amazing how, and you think about it, it's just credence behind the song. That's all it is. It's yeah. amazing. every every song. It's the band. Just whatever they play, it'll always be credence. Oh yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. All right. The next song up on the album is another cover song. It's called My Baby Left Me. That's great. Time for another quiz. Do you know who originally recorded that song? Well, I'll go with Elvis. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I was, know, yeah. No, I didn't know who wrote it, but I, I know Elvis did it. Yeah, it was written by Arthur Crudup in 1950, oh. and Elvis recorded the song in 1956. And it's what? got it's it's a very Elvisy sounding song, right? It sounds oh. like that's all right, Mama. And I think he, I think that's who Elvis used to play it like as a kind of medley with That's All Right Mama and some stuff like that. Off the um, crud up. Yeah. There's, some, there's something very famous about Arthur Crudup. And it might um, be one of it, it might be one of his songs, not this one. Yeah. I'll have, I'll have to check it out. I don't know. I'll have to check out Crudup when we get done. You can Google it on Bing. <laughs> Thanks. Google it on Bing. Look at you. Boom, boom. Nice. But you think about that, right? What, the basic, simple rock and roll? So, yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah. very, very, you know, rootsy, very 50s sounding with that opening with the bass. You know? Um, and then uh, John Fogarty heard the Elvis Presley version in a jukebox in some little market near his, this uh, summer place that the Fogarty family used to go uh, in California. And he said that that record may be the reason that he plays guitar because he just loved that uh, the Elvis version so much. Yeah, Elvis, you know, people don't think about it. Elvis had great guitar players throughout the year. Great. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was nobody, mostly nobody Scotty Moore. It was yeah. mostly Scotty Moore. There you go. Yeah. Um, and uh, Credence actually never played this song live, wow. which is weird. I, I would think that this would be something that he would play live a lot, but 
Uh, I think maybe John Fogarty plays it now or or has played it since the band broke up and it's just him, but it wasn't he he never care. played live with Creedence. <laughs> Gotta be some personal reason in there. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. Uh track number nine, probably the most famous or most popular song on the album, perhaps, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's who'll stop the rain. Right. So again, you know, I guess, you know, this is another song that people thought was about Vietnam. So I guess once you write a song or two about Vietnam, everybody thinks every song is about Vietnam. Yeah, <laughs> but it's oh, not. Yeah. <laughs> so this song, uh, he he, Fogarty wrote it that uh, he wrote it when he was at Woodstock, watching yeah. the rain come down, watched the festival goers dancing in the rain, muddy, naked, mm-hmm. cold, huddling together. And it just kept raining and raining and raining that whole weekend. So I don't know if people realize how miserable like it was <laughs> to be in the crowd at Woodstock. Oh, it was horrible. Um, so he got home after Woodstock and he sat down and wrote who stopped the, who will who will stop the rain. Um, so just not not Vietnam at all, just kind of recounting his experience at Woodstock. Yeah, that's what he said. He always tells that story when he talks about it. Another thing he talks about Woodstock is uh he went on after the Grateful Dead and he said it was supposed to be like, yeah, it, it, it was a typical Grateful Dead set. <laughs> Seven hours. He, I think, I think he went on like five in the morning or three, yeah. <laughs> something like that, which is yeah. Seven hours set by the Grateful Dead. And goes, a lot of those bands were, were on psychedelics at the time, you know, people were messed up and it was, uh, you know, pe- people romanticize it because it was, I think the first big festival, but Sure. If you look at the reality of it, it was probably not a great time. You know? well, the, the good news, the good thing about it was it really was peaceful. And you know, that's right. the good thing. It was that it was, you know, maybe the, the circumstances weren't good, but the reason behind it and, you know, the, listen, they were helicopter in bands because they couldn't get in. Yeah. Helicoptering people in. So. Well, if you ever, if you've ever, you drove up there to Bethel Woods, there's one oh, road, yeah. you know, one it's road. not, there's. Oh. It takes you hours to get out of that place, even now, because they still have just one road in and out. I, I will never drive out of there. I stay at a hotel nearby all the time. <laughs> I, will not do, I will not do that. I, I made the not. mistake of doing that once and got oh, home at I, like 3.30 in the morning. Yeah, there's no <laughs> so, uh, You know, I, I want to throw it out. You know, you, they have these greatest songs of all time. And, uh, you know, to me, there has to be a tie there can't be a number one, you know, everybody, always, it always ends up either Layla or Stairway to Heaven, right. but, you know, Who'll Stop the Rain is just, it is a got, great song. It's got to be tied for first of an all-time great song. I mean, so for me, it's like, you can put it where you want, but as we do these inside the albums, you realize that 
you know, there's got to be a tie for first because this yeah. is just an all-time great song. All-time. Yeah. yeah. In my it, was world. A, it was actually released as a B-side to Traveling Band. Again, they do these singles that had double A-sides, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the many CCR singles to stall at number two. They never had a number one hit in the U.S. Wow. So a lot of it, Again. you know, it's like you said before, a lot of it, I think, depends on what's out at the time, right? Timing. Yeah, timing. You know? Um, like we were discussing, you listed, you know, it might have been something from Crosby, Stills, Nash, could have been from, chances are, you know, it was uh, probably Simon, Simon Garfunkel. Garfunkel. We'll have to look yeah. that up. And Neil Young was huge. Yeah. Now that Neil Young record was really popular, too. So, yeah, we'll have to um, check that out. Yeah. So the, the other thing is there's a line in there that says, I went down to Virginia she can, seeking shelter from the storm. Right. That gave Bob Dylan the idea for the title of his 1975 song, Shelter from the Storm. Uh, so Creedence influenced Bob Dylan. Usually Bob Dylan influences everybody else, right? Nice. Here's Bob Dylan getting influenced by Creedence. That's beautiful. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I think... I don't think Credence gets its due as one of the great all-time rock bands. Dude. I think most people put them on a like a like if you had A B C D, most people put them in that C in the middle kind of area. But they just amazing, amazing songwriters. John Foley yeah. was incredible. You know, you know what it was. It's uh, I thought about the same thing this morning. I said the same thing. You, you, you when you when you say seventies rockers, they won't come to mind. They might come to yours or mine because of the love we have for them. But there was so many, got to remember, so many great bands. We were blessed. We're going through all these albums of the 70s. Got to remember, everybody was rocking back then. So that's yeah. the challenge. And shall I say pop, you know, the word pop, popular. Right. You know, uh, they had great, great music. And one thing, they were on, were and always will be on the radio forever. Creedence songs are always on the radio. Yeah. So, yeah. They didn't get, you didn't get your true diehard Credence fan. Let's put it that way. Where you right. Maybe that's, say, that's what's missing, right? There's no, like, it's like people like fanatic, like Zeppelin. I love right. Zeppelin. Oh I'm a God. Zeppelin. Zeppelin. You get Zeppelin. Zeppelin album, right? right? Right. No, Credence was just great music. You brought right. home, you rocked out, you loved it. You didn't, you didn't go out and say, oh man, I got the new Credence album. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of like we said at the top, like, everybody else is doing crazy stuff so you got all the psychedelic music the jam stuff and sure. you know music is shifting and changing and these guys are just kind of middle of the road but so so good the songs are, are amazingly good yeah tremendous like i said one of the greatest albums ever yeah all right let's dive into the next cover tune this one's i heard it through the grapevine mm.
so, so good, right? Mm. I mean, just mm. an all-time legendary song. And to me, the thing that's amazing about this is the Credence version is Fogarty doesn't have anywhere near the voice that Marvin Gaye has, right? But right. it's as good, right? It's different, but it's as good. It's it's as good. It, it stands on its own. And you're exactly, you took it exactly where I was thinking. No matter what song they take as Credence, it becomes a Credence song. You know, you yeah. get what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's not, it's not like a, you know, let's just cover this song. It's Fogarty puts Fogarty into it. The, uh, the band puts the band into it, right? It becomes theirs. It's not like, oh, we just copied, you know, what Marvin Gaye did. Right. Great. Tremendous. Yeah. And so the Marvin Gaye single of this was released in October 68. So it wasn't that like it wasn't like this was an oldie. This is a song from two years ago. Wow. That they recorded. Right. So Fogarty, you know, loved the Marvin Gaye version. Of course, how could you not? It's an all time legendary song. But he thought that the arrangement that Gaye had on the record kind of masked what was really going on. So he wanted to strip it down, change the riff a little bit, make it more of a guitar song. And then he worked on it that would on a roadmap that kind of turned into, you know, the, the Creedence Clearwater Revival's version that turns into almost a jam song, right? Where it's it's a little bit more guitar heavy. How long is that song on the album? 11 minutes. I, I thought so. Yeah, it goes on and, forever. It's great. <laughs> a lot of a lot of jamming. A lot yeah. of jamming. <laughs> so which is amazing. Yeah. And the other interesting thing is they only recorded two takes. Wow. So they so nailed they just, this. Like they just jammed. Yeah. They just nailed it. Yeah. That's and that's great. what they are. I mean, they're a they're they're a rock and roll band. They're players. Yeah. They're not, these are not, you know. They're not studio magicians or, you know, anything else. They're, they're rockers, you know, they really can play and have, uh, they, he does a great job at arranging these songs. It's, it's really amazing. Imagine just getting together as a band and just recording as a band, not guitar and place the drums in, bring in the sax. Yeah. At the end you could clean it all up, but just that whole, that, you know, what you just said, 11 minute song. Yeah, they, they to have the balls it. to come out and record, you know, what it was a legendary song and cover it and redo it two years yeah. later. You know, yeah. think about that. It's like, uh, you know, somebody doing a cover of Stairway to Heaven two years after it was released. Who does that, right? No. They, but they, they had the confidence. I mean, that's so you got to give Fogarty the credit in terms of having the confidence to just do what he knows is right because it, it works every single time for them. Yeah. He's had a tremendous career. Yeah. All right. So that brings us down to the album's closer. And uh, this is long as I can see the light. Oh,
this one too, again, I think we really hear Fogarty's voice is just, it's not, you know, he's not like Mariah Carey, you know, he's not like a technical singer, but it's right. so great. He just, oh, it just grabs you and <laughs> reaches into your soul, you know, yeah. it's amazing. Just, just pure brilliance. Really yeah, is. so good. It took um, a soul song. Yeah, it took a soul song and made it a creating song. Yeah, right. Exactly. Did he, did he write this? Uh, I, I think, think so. he did wrote this. Yeah, yeah. I, think it's, I don't. I, think it's I don't a have a note song. that he didn't, so he must have. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, because it says, uh, well, he came up with the, the candle metaphor as a beacon guiding the singer home. So yeah. he said the song is about the loner in me wanting to feel understood, needing those at home to shine a light so that I can find my way back. Right. So I know you're always there when I'm on the road. I can. Come right. Back. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Right. What a song. So a lot of so, their stuff is road stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. You know, longing for home. Look, no matter what you're doing, you could be a rock star and become a rock star. But yeah, if you're an average Joe, who's a regular guy, you, you want to get home. Yeah. Of you want to get home. Course, you know, some people like the anarchy of uh, on the road, you know, let's <laughs> for say like it, like a guns and roses. They just want to go tear up hotel rooms. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not now, but no. you know, 40 years ago or whatever it was, <laughs> 80s. It's a while ago. Unfortunately, right. <laughs> that so was that's great. Cosmos Factory. Song. Yeah. Do you love it? Yeah. I love it. Hey, listen, it's a tremendous piece of work. Tremendous. All that's right. why, you know, we were decided on the album. You said to me, hey, pick one. But I just shot your note and said, "Come on, let's let's do Cosmos Factory." Good call. Good call. Just it's Good just call. from start to finish, we got to go play this album. That's what I'll do today. There Beautiful you go. Beautiful thing. Well, that was awesome. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening and watching. Thank and you. Like, subscribe, click all the buttons, do all the things. Share us with your friends, family, your grandparents, everybody. Yeah, and go enjoy Cosmos Factory. Yeah, awesome Please classic do. album. All right, Donnie boy. All right. We'll see you next time. Have a good day.